I hope you're listening to that story as Jim read it. And you see a pattern continue that's already been established in the book of Acts, but it's very clear in this story. And that is that as God moves, as the Spirit of God moves, as Jesus is proclaimed, trouble is stirred up. There's controversy. There's opposition. I mean, the message about Jesus is a message of good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. Uh, To those who receive it, it brings forgiveness of sins, uh, peace with God, uh, inner, inward joy and peace, uh, satisfaction in your soul like nothing else can give you, a quenching of a, a quenching of your hunger and thirst, a quenching of hunger and thirst that are deep within you. And yet, the message about Jesus Christ also brings upheaval and conflict wherever it goes. It always has and it always will. And when anyone has a, a real, saving, born-again experience with Jesus Christ... Almost always before long, there is someone in your life that isn't that thrilled about this new enthusiasm that you have for Jesus. And you begin to notice some changes in your relationships. You notice some changes that take place in your friendships. Uh, Someone you used to be close to uh, begins to withdraw from you or doesn't really understand you anymore or doesn't invite you to do things with them anymore like they used to. It may even bring a a sense of of distance to family members or others that you were just totally in sync with. And at one point, you were all going the same direction, but Jesus made you into a new person And suddenly you realize you're not all going the same direction anymore. In fact, if the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the message about Jesus Christ hasn't brought some change and upheaval to your life and your relationships, it's possible you still need to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ yet. It is possible. There's people all the time who would say that they're a Christian, who think they know Jesus, but it's that real life-changing encounter with him where you unite yourself with him by faith where your life begins to get shook up and things begin to get disturbed around you. A lot of other good things happen too, But it changes things. It really does. Now, as much as we might wish it were different, the message of Jesus is controversial. Not everyone likes it. Some even are dead set against it. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He went on to say that his coming would sometimes turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said, your, your enemies now could be even in your own home. 
Of course, the Bible makes clear that we are to do everything possible to live in peace with all men. We're not to purposely ruffle people's feathers. Some people like to do that. That's not our calling as believers. We're not to purposely stir up trouble. We are to live above reproach, Paul said, so that the enemies of Christ can't find anything bad to say about us, even if they want to. Yet still, it is impossible to make everyone like us and still be loyal to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, it is a very, very bad thing if all people speak well of you. Paul said everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That that doesn't mean you'll be crucified or burned at the stake. Very many different levels and kinds of persecution. But it, it does mean you will experience some troubles from others if you genuinely desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Of course, there are some Christians who just come across as offensive, uh, obnoxious, uh, inconsiderate, brash, and then they claim they're being persecuted for Christ. I'm not talking about that. And we're not to imagine that everybody is against us. We're not to just uh, kind of imagine that uh, uh, everybody's out to persecute us and uh, if, if we uh, do a terrible job at our, <laughs> at our place of work and get fired, well, it's be- because I'm being persecuted for, for Jesus. We're not to just develop some kind of martyr complex and imagine that persecution is coming at us when it really isn't. But neither are we to ignore that as true followers of Christ, every one of us, every person here who is a true follower of Christ is a member of a persecuted minority. You, You are no longer a part of the widely accepted majority of the worldwide culture. You are a part of a persecuted minority. I thought it was... The Holy Spirit's timing that today, with this message, with this passage, coincides with the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We here, of course, are not persecuted like believers in many places in the world, but we are a part of that group that is persecuted. And when you read about Christians or hear about Christians today in in this world now, not not just centuries ago, I mean, it's happened all through history, but I'm talking about today. When you read about Christians today that are being beaten, disowned by their families, Christians who can't get a job, Christians who are going without their needs being met, Christians who are being jailed or beheaded, Those are our people. 
Those are your people. They are persecuted because they are joined to the same Jesus that we are joined to. And that could happen to us too. I think it's very naive to think that that could never, would never happen to us in our, in our country or to our kids or grandkids. It's just very naive to think it couldn't. There has always been, I mean, Jesus foretold it. I mean, Jesus said it would be this way. He said, if they hated me, they will hate you. There always has been. And there always will be an undercurrent of opposition and even hatred to Jesus and his followers that could rise to the surface at any time, anywhere. And that is not being uh, melodramatic. Uh, That's not exaggerating the case. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's not a persecution complex. It's proven history. It's reality. And it's the way Jesus said it would be. And that, that underground hatred, if you will, I mean, it's only by the grace of God that it's not breaking out against, against us right here and now and that we aren't experiencing some of the same things that Josh just talked about in his opening comments. It's only by the mercy and grace of God that we aren't experiencing those things now. So we always, we always need to be prepared to accept whatever it could cost us to follow Jesus. We always need to prepare, be prepared that there is a cost. And we see a principle in this passage that, that is, is, is really profound, and we see it all throughout Acts, we see it all throughout the Scriptures. But whenever God acts, there is a reaction against it. And, we, you know, we want, at least I, I do, and I think many of us, many of us in this, in this church family really badly want the things that happened in Acts to happen among us. But are we willing to accept the turmoil that goes along with that? Uh, we, pray, we pray for revival. We pray for a great move of the Spirit, for a harvest of souls. I, I know some of us genuinely cry out to God for that, and we want that. But are we willing to accept the upheaval and the conflict and the criticism that goes with that? There's never been a revival. There's never been any great work of God. There's never been any effective proclamation of, of the gospel from the first century down on through all of history that did not stir up controversy, opposition, and criticism. And if, if, if we want the one, we have to be prepared for the other. We pray for an outpouring of the Spirit of Jesus on our own lives. At least I hope we do. I hope we cry out for the the presence and the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit for the Spirit of Jesus to fill our lives and our our personalities. But are we ready to accept the reality that not everybody will be thrilled about that for us? Are we ready to accept criticism for that? Are we ready to accept criticism both inside and some outside and sometimes inside the church 
that sometimes comes along with living all out for Jesus, filled with his spirit. Because it's there. I think it's safe to say that any real work of God in your life, let's bring it down to our own individual lives, any real work of God in your life will face some kind of opposition. And we have to be prepared, just, just like these people were that we read about in Acts, we have to be prepared to, re- to believe, to receive, to worship, to love, to follow. Jesus is our Messiah, Savior, and Lord. But we have to be willing to do it and pay a price for doing so. We have to be willing to do that in the face of conflict and opposition and, and people that don't like it or people that are that are not happy about that going on in our lives. So this morning we're going we're to look about at how the message of Jesus produced conflict and controversy at Thessalonica and Berea for Paul and Silas and for, uh, for a guy named Jason and for the new believers in those places. Verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul had, we'd left Paul and Silas in uh, Philippi, remember the amazing release from prison. Uh, Philippi is about a hundred miles uh, from Thessalonica, had the privilege of making that journey. Uh, these cities, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they're each about 30 miles apart, so they traveled about 30 miles each day and reached, um, reached the city of Thessalonica, which, which was a, a large city in that day and, and uh, even larger today. It's an incre- incredibly vast metropolis um, when we were there. As was his custom, verse 2, Paul went into the synagogue, And for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Even though Paul was called to the Gentiles, his custom always was to go to the local Jewish synagogue and take advantage of an open part of the meeting, which they typically had in the synagogue, where, remember, where uh, the synagogue official says, brothers, if anyone has anything... Uh, to say, to encourage uh, everyone, let him speak now. Well, that's, that's when Paul would get up. He would get up in these synagogue services and he would proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. So that was, that was what he always did. It, it was an open door that God gave him and, and he used it. Verse three, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, Jesus is the Messiah who was promised by the Old Testament prophets. He is the one that, the, that all through the Old Testament, all the prophets talked about this coming anointed one, this coming savior who would save his people from their sins who would lead them out of oppression into a time of amazing prosperity and joy and peace and victory. 
You know, the, the Jews were familiar with the scriptures like this one from Isaiah 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. They were looking for this one to come, this son who was given. They were looking for him to come, who was wonderful, mighty God. They were familiar with prophecies like this one from Isaiah 42, 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Or this one from Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked and before me, there was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Those are all prophecies of this coming Messiah. And Paul proclaimed Jesus is that Messiah. He proclaimed that Jesus fulfilled and would fulfill these prophecies and others like it. Uh, but for the Jews who were, who were acquainted, well acquainted with the prophets, this was an ast- astonishing claim, and it is. In fact, I, I really wonder if, if, if you and I today, I wonder if we can really grasp the fullness of who Jesus is without knowing and studying and becoming familiar with these incredible Old Testament prophecies of his power and authority and his reign and his rule and his might and his wonder and his glory. But it was hard for the Jews to see how Jesus was this Messiah because they paid attention to the prophecies of, of a victorious conquering king, but they, they ignored all the prophecies about his suffering and his rejection. So Jesus didn't fit their expectations. They expected the Messiah to free them from their Roman oppressors not to die on a cross. That is why Paul reasoned with them, explaining to them from their own scriptures, it says that the Messiah had to suffer first and rise again from the dead. They they had kind of shut their mind and their hearts to all of those prophecies. So I'm sure Paul went to prophecies showing that the Messiah would be forsaken, like Psalm 22, which is full of, uh, prophecies about the Messiah. My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? anguish? Or prophecies that the Messiah would be scorned. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Or that the Messiah would be pierced. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircled me. They pierce my hands and my feet, Psalm 22. That the Messiah would be wounded, crushed, and killed for, in order to heal us. 
Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Wow, that's a, that's a different Messiah. Those are things that, that, were, that the prophets were, were full of statements like that. A, suf, a suffering, beaten, crushed, rejected, scorned Messiah. But the scriptures also said that he would not remain crushed. He would not remain killed or dead. The Messiah would be raised from the dead. And that's what Paul said. He explained from their own scriptures that the Messiah first had to suffer and then would rise again from the dead. He, I'm sure he used Psalm 16, which very, repeated over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. This is like a, a prophetic statement of the Messiah. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay, but you will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pre- pleasures at your right hand. So as a result of going through these scriptures and not only de- declaring the the majesty and the power of the Messiah, but also declaring what the Scripture said, how he must be first be rejected and suffer and be crushed. As a result of Paul's reasoning and explaining and persuading these things, Luke says those who, there were those who were persuaded to believe. There were, there were many. There were many God-fearing Greeks. There were Jews. There were prominent women and it says that those who, Luke says that those who were persuaded to believe, says they joined Paul and Silas. It's a very interesting phrase. They believed in Jesus. And what did they do next? They were probably baptized from every other scripture passage we know, but they were persuaded, persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. The ISV says they associated with Paul and Silas. When you believe the message about Jesus, you associate with other believers even if it costs you something to do that. When you believe in Jesus, when you believe the message about Jesus, you begin to associate with other believers even if it costs you a lot to do that. And it costs these people at Thessalonica a lot, as we'll, we'll soon get into more of the details of that. But still... They associated, as, as an evidence of their faith in Christ, they associated with those who were proclaiming Christ. Even if your friends do not think it is cool, I don't know, if, I think we have, maybe have some younger people in here this morning. Even if your friends do not think it is cool, you join with those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, proclaimers of Jesus, people like Paul and Silas, people like these others who came to faith, those are your people now. You share in their fellowship and their friendship 
and you also share in their reproach. And your, your willingness to throw in with other Christians demonstrates the genuineness of your faith in Christ. This is a, this is a, a tough thing for all of us. It's a tough thing for adults. I think it's many times tougher uh, for younger people, for students, for kids that are, whether they're in homeschool or public school or Christian school. But it's so important that you join in and associate with those who belong to Jesus. Um, I've just you know, seen it again and again uh, throughout my decades of, of following Christ that who you choose to associate with is, is such an incredibly accurate indicator of, of where you are spiritually now and it's an incredibly accurate predictor of where you're headed spiritually. And it's just the reality is that those who love Jesus are attracted to others who love Jesus. You throw in with them. That's the kind of people you throw in with. You throw in with other people that love Jesus. You throw in with the God seekers, the people who love the Lord, the people who want to serve him. You, you associate with them. So I love that little phrase in this passage. But those, those who believe the message, they joined up with Paul and Silas. They associated freely with them. But of course, as Paul uh, or Luke tells us, many at Thessalonica did believe in Jesus. And there came this kind of association of all the believers. But many others didn't like it. They didn't like it at all that people in their city responded to Paul and Silas and their message about Jesus. Verse 5 says, But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. And I try to think, you know, why, why, why does that happen? I mean, why is the message of Jesus uh, controversial? Why, why does it stir up this sense yeah we we are full, we're all for Jesus and other people that are that are that are that are against it well i th- i think it's just that the message about Jesus is is a it's a it's a kind of message that demands a response i mean either Jesus is the messiah or he isn't either he is the fulfillment of all these incredibly wonderful old testament prophecies or he's not Either he is wonderful counselor, ruler, king uh, with a dominion that will never end or, or he's not. There's just no middle ground. And that necessarily creates a divide in people. I mean, in Thessalonica, it started a riot. Those who did not receive Jesus as Messiah, I mean, they were, they were determined to squelch this movement. They were just determined to squelch this phenomena of people hearing and believing and and turning to Christ. I love the honesty of the Bible. We would write, I think, a different kind of story if we were just kind of imagining, if we were writing kind of a novel about something like this. But 
Luke tells us very plainly, the message of Jesus did not bring everybody in the city together. You know, that would, that would be kind of our happy ending to the story. That's, that's not the happy ending to the story of Jesus being proclaimed. The message of Jesus did not bring everybody in the city together. It did not bring peace to Thessalonica. It did not bring calm to Thessalonica. I mean, if everybody had acknowledged Jesus as Lord, it would have. But instead, it it created incredible turmoil and trouble. It split the city into two factions. I mean, if, if we think that believing in Jesus will make our life and everything around us calm and peaceful and will make everybody happy with us, that's just a pipe dream. It is not reality. And then Luke includes a personal story about a guy named Jason. I, I like this. I mean, he just, uh, like at Philippi, Luke brought the story down to three individuals who were saved. Now, you know, now we know there's a riot. We know there's conflict. We know the message of Jesus brings trouble. But, but now we're going to bring it down to an individual who, whose life actually was affected by this conflict. The, there was a believer in Thessalonica named Jason. Uh, he had opened his home. Uh, He had associated with Paul and Silas. He had had them into his house. And so this mob assumed that Paul and Silas were in Jason's house now. So it says they rushed. There's there's one translation. I can't remember which one it was. It says they attacked his house. I kind of like that. They rushed to, to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. You know, Luke doesn't say, but... What would you imagine they would have wanted to do with Paul and Silas once they brought him out to this crowd? Wouldn't have been a pretty sight for Paul and Silas, I'll tell you. Anyway, they rushed to Jason's house. They searched it. Uh, his home was, was searched and torn apart. But Paul and Silas weren't there. Or maybe they were and they were just extremely well hidden. I don't know. But they didn't find Paul and Silas. And verse 6 says, When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. So now Jason and a group of other believers are in danger of having perhaps legal charges brought against them by city officials, possibly of being thrown in prison, possibly of being, being beaten with rods. I mean... Uh, the, these the governing officials in these days, they had all kinds of, of cruel things that they could do to people to keep them in line. And so th- these people, Jason and these other believers, they were facing some, some, some real uh, dangers here. I don't know anything about this guy named Jason, but I, I just imagine that before uh, Paul and Silas showed up in Thessalonica, I just imagine he probably led a very normal, quiet life up to this point. He, he, was, he was probably uh, very well-liked, probably uh, accepted in the community, probably just a regular guy. But now that he believed in Jesus and 
began to associate with Paul and Silas and the other, other believers, his life is a mess. His life is in turmoil. He's got problems galore. I mean, he's facing some, some real dangers, and some real opposition, simply, simply because when he heard the, the scriptures explained about Jesus being the Messiah, he said, yeah, I believe that. Now his life is, is turned upside down. He's got problems all over the place. Are you willing for that to happen to you? I mean that seriously. Are you willing to let Jesus upset your life? I mean, are, you, are you willing to enter into such a genuine connection with Jesus that you would let it upset your life, that, you, that you'd let your world be turned upside down because of your faith in Jesus? Is your, is your connect, connection, your faith um, in Jesus that, that real, that genuine, um, does it mean that much to you that you would you'd allow it to disrupt your life like this? Jason led it. I mean, he, he didn't just say, when all this stuff came down on him, he didn't just say, okay, forget it. I don't believe he's the Messiah. No, he, 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 he allowed his faith in, in Jesus to, to stand, even though it brought a lot of opposition and a lot of trouble to him. I, I, have ne- I have not been persecuted hardly at all. In fact, to even say that I have be, would be like laughable, okay? But I would also say that the most difficult, confusing, painful things that I've experienced in life, I believe, in my opinion, have come about basically from me seeking to be an all-out follower of Jesus and trying to serve him the best I know how. I mean, it's just, it just is a reality that serving Christ... Letting God work powerfully in your life, letting Him have you, body, soul, and spirit, doesn't mean that everything's going to be peaceful and pain free from now on. In fact, if we read the book of Acts, just the opposite. All right, then we come to one of the greatest backhanded compliments in history. This mob. They drug Paul and Silas and these other believers before the city officials and they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too and Jason has welcomed them as his guests. Uh, the NIV, which, which is in the bulletin, I, is, a, is a, a little weaker. I don't like it as much. But it says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here. These people, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here to our town. And we don't like it. But the translation, turn the world upside down, is really, really the more literal one. And I, and, and I love that. But I, I, say it's a, I say it's one of the greatest backhanded compliments because they didn't mean it as a compliment. I mean, they meant that statement to condemn Paul and Silas. I mean, they, were, they had these guys before the city officials 
And they were saying this as, a, as an out, a total condemnation of Paul and his team for stirring up trouble. And yet, I view it, and I think Christians through history have viewed this as a great compliment because they were so effective in their preaching that it caused massive problems everywhere they went. In one sense, I mean, and you have to understand it and understand it properly, but in one sense, the best thing that could be said about us is that we are Christians who cause trouble. In one sense, the best thing that could be said about us is that we are Christians who turn things upside down. We are Christians who who Jesus is using, the Holy Spirit is using so effectively that it upsets things. It upsets the status quo. that's, That's one of my prayers this morning. It's one of my prayers for us as a church. One of the prayers for myself. May may God make us so effective that that it would be said about us that that guy's a troublemaker. He, spiritually speaking, in the name of Jesus, he upsets things. Verse seven. In an effort uh, to condemn Paul and Silas, Jason, and all these others who had believed. The mob said this, they are defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king who's called Jesus, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. I don't know how, they, were, they already had a riot. I'm not sure how they could be in more turmoil, but it's like they're even in more turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Now, here's what they're trying to say. They clearly imply that Christians will rebel against Caesar and that Christians will be troublemakers, not, not in the sense that Paul was by preaching the gospel, but that Christians will, will be bad citizens. They will rebel against the authorities. I mean, that's what they're saying, that they have another king, so they're not going to submit to Caesar's decrees. And this charge was was not true at all in one sense because Christ makes us better citizens, more obedient, more submissive, less rebellious. But the accusation that Paul was proclaiming a king is a true accusation. And it's interesting that even the unbelievers at Thessalonica clearly understood that Paul was saying Jesus is a king. I think that's remarkable. (laughs) And if that part of the message about Jesus had been left out by Paul and Silas, it's possible there would would not have been any trouble or not as much trouble. But they boldly proclaim that Jesus is a king to be served, to be loved, to be adored, to be bowed down to, to be yielded to. He's a king. In order to make the gospel go over easier at Thessalonica, they could have left out that part of the message. And in order to make everyone more comfortable with Jesus, it is very tempting 
to leave out many truths of the gospel. If you're aware at all of what's being preached today on, in a lot of places, in a lot of churches, the gospel is often reboot, reduced to this. God is good. God loves you. Jesus is your friend. Now, those things are incredibly precious truths. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a gentle shepherd. Jesus deals delicately with us in our weakness and our brokenness and our neediness. Those are incredibly precious truths that need to be said, and we celebrate those things every Sunday. But we can't redact the part of the gospel that calls us to a new king and a new kingdom. We can't redact the parts of the gospel that talk about the cross and the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins and the need for repentance and turning to Jesus. We need to make it clear that we're calling people to a relationship with the king. And as people saved by the grace of God, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ brought to, to God as, as our king, we, we bring all areas of our lives under the authority of Christ. I mean, that's, that's just part of what it is to be a Christian. We serve in a new kingdom with a new king. So we bring, and, and I'm careful how I say this, but for all of us, I'm young people, everyone here, adults, we bring our sexuality, our sexual desires, our speech, our money, our emotions, our attitudes, our bodies, our minds, we bring everything and submit them to, to our king. Paul said of, of the Thessalonians when, when he, or the Thessalonians, when he wrote back to them later in uh, the letter, first letter of Thessalonians, he reminded them how, of, of this event and how, how they had received his message, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. And they'd received it by the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit saved them. And he went on to say how they, then how they turned from idols to serve the living God. I mean, that's the kind of transformation that the, that the gospel makes when, when we proclaim Jesus in his fullness as Messiah, Savior, and King. A real encounter with Jesus as king changes that to that degree. Well, after leaving uh, Thessalonica uh, with, with all the trouble that, 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 that came up there, uh, Paul and Silas had to leave. And, and after leaving, Paul goes to another town, fairly close to, to Thessalonica, not that far away. Uh, again, I had to have a privilege of being here in this town in Berea at the location, supposedly, of, of a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, perhaps the one that, that Paul spoke at uh, there, in, there in Berea. And, and guess what? Paul preaches the same message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
But interestingly, in Berea, instead of immediate rioting and conflict, it says the people carefully searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was telling them about Jesus lined up with the scripture and about the coming Messiah. And there's a very well-known known verse, and when, when we were in Berea, it, it, it was incredibly moving emotionally to, to see at this synagogue, there was, there was a plaque there. Um, I, I can't remember if it was on a, on a kind of a stone pedestal or what, but there was this plaque at the synagogue that said, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Wow, that's, that's, that's so neat. That's so wonderful that that happened in the city of Berea. Uh, you know, as we learned last week, God himself must open your heart to respond to Jesus. We saw that about Lydia. Paul was preaching. and God opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. Yet that does not mean that we should just be passive or wait around for that to happen. We have a responsibility to choose to receive the message with great eagerness, to search the scriptures carefully to see what is true, and then to respond to that. You know, we, we, have, we, have, respond, we have a responsibility to, to, in a sense, open up ourselves and, and, and open up our, 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 our minds and our hearts and our lives and eagerly receive whenever we hear the word of God spoken. Um, and to eagerly search the scriptures to see what is true. Verse 13, But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Many in Berea believed in Jesus, and, but also many rose up against Paul and those who believed. And the situation became so dangerous for Paul and Silas that the believers sent Paul away. But it says Silas and Timothy stayed. All right, I want to wrap up with how we should respond to this chapter. Uh, Number one, we need to consider the cost of being a Christian. Uh, You can't follow Jesus and have everyone like you. And... I'm not trying to pick on younger people, but younger younger ones that are in here this morning. I didn't know that I didn't do this message thinking it would be a Lord's Supper Sunday, but I'm glad that there's some of the younger ones are in here. Uh, you, you'll have to decide if you're willing to to choose to do what Jesus calls you to do, even when that's not the popular thing to do. And even if you're in a Christian school or homeschool or certainly in public school, you're going, to ha- you're going to have to decide if you're willing to do what Jesus wants you to do when it, when it doesn't line up with what other kids want you to do, when there's pressure to go along with everybody else. Um, that, that, that sense of, of choosing Jesus and then, and, th- and then that sense, sense of being, being left out or being on the outside, or or of being alone in the choices you make, uh, when, when your peers think you're weird for following Jesus, or or for trying to keep yourself pure, or just trying to to be good and do the right thing, those are costs that you pay as a young person for being a follower of Jesus. Uh, 
And they're real costs. To, be, to believe in Jesus requires that you go, go against one of the most powerful impulses in human nature. And, and that's the impulse or the, the, the desire to be accepted by your circle of friends and to always fit in and to always be liked. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, called this the inner ring. <laughs> one of, one of C.S. Lewis' most powerful writings, essay called The Inner Ring. And he said this desire to be part of the inner ring is one of the greatest permanent mainsprings of human actions. It's one of, the, one of the most powerful things in life, this desire to be in the inner ring. He said, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. And he, goes, he goes on basically to say how destructive it is and how, how it will ruin your life and keep you from being the man or woman that you really should be. The power of the inner ring. And so all of us have to, have to, have to face this question. Are, are, you, are, you, are you going to allow this desire um, to dominate you, to fit in, this desire to fit in, to be accepted, to be in the inner ring? Or does loyalty to Jesus mean more to you than that? It's a cost that you have to decide if you're willing to pay or not. And these people who decide in Thessalonica and Berea, who decided to follow Jesus, they had a lot of people, a lot of their f- friends and perhaps relatives and other citizens in their community that, that didn't like it. And they had to be willing to not be a part of that inner ring. They had to, they had to be willing to follow Jesus. And it, it, is, it, is, a tough, it is a tough thing. It's a cost. And, and Jesus said we must count the cost. Number two, uh, Pray for, pray for real, genuine conversions to Christ to be experienced by everyone here at Real Life Church. That's just the cry of my heart that every person that walks in the doors of Real Life Church would come to know Jesus in such a dynamic, real, powerful way that they are on their road to loving him, serving him, no matter who says what, no matter who comes against them, no matter what trouble get stirred up by that, no matter who opposes them. They're genuine, genuinely born again, lovers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit. I mean, that's what, that's what we're called to be. And it's, you know, it's just like, okay, I want that for everybody. I want that every young person, if you're, I don't know if you're in, in middle school, high school, grade school, every adult, and if you care if you're in your uh, 60s like me or a, a young parent, we're calling everyone to a, to, a, to a real belief in Jesus as your Messiah, Savior, King, and Lord. And we want your hearts to be indwelt, filled, and inflamed by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. That's, that's, and that's the goal of our preaching, our Sunday school, our youth group, our men's and women's Bible studies. We are not merely here to call you to be good moral people. Um, you know, as, as important as social justice causes are, we're not, we're not even calling you just here to that. To give and do things for the needy. And, I mean, we, we are to do that, but that, we're not just calling you to that. We're not... 
we're not primarily trying to have you have, have, you have a, just a good and successful life. We want that. We want you to prosper in everything you do. But that's not what we're primarily calling you to. For our kids, you know, we're not, we're not just calling our kids to be good and to get good grades and uh, to be maybe good at sports or music or get into a good college. The overwhelming focus is to call our kids and, and our adults and every one of us to a real relationship with Jesus and dwelt by him. And that's the kind of people who will turn, turn the world upside down. And I, tell you, I, I sincerely say, I mean, my, 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 my goal, I want my kids and my grandkids to be, to be world changers for Jesus. You know, I want, want them to be people who love and serve Jesus. That's a great, that, that's, that's, that's the ba- biggest desire of my heart for them. Number three, um, remember that any great work that God does among us will come with controversy and opposition. So pray for revival. Pray for a move of the Spirit right here at Real Life Church and in Ankeny. And be prepared for the controversy that will come with it. Pray that you and I and your family and all of us would be more effective in proclaiming Christ and that we wouldn't be afraid of causing trouble because of it or getting into trouble because of it pray to be filled with the holy spirit pray to be filled for your life to be saturated with the holy spirit of god the spirit of jesus and be prepared for the controversy that comes with it and then last treasure god so highly Value his gift to us in Christ that all trouble, persecution, all costs of belonging to him, of following him, are seen as nothing in comparison to the value of knowing Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand. Perhaps there is someone here this morning who's never believed in Jesus, at least in the way the Bible talks about it. This morning could be the morning that you decide to believe that, that, yes, Jesus is Savior and Lord, Messiah and King. And I put my faith, I unite myself, my soul, my life, my body, my future. I unite myself to him by faith. I believe in him this morning. Pray that, we, we, we're praying for you right now, that you would respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and let him invade your life. Let him, let him come in and shake things up and make you a new person. And Jesus said, coming to him is like, it's like being born, it's like being born a second time. It's that, it's that, it's that radical a thing. It's that big a thing. God, I pray that that would happen to every person here in this room this morning if it hasn't already and perhaps there's some here this morning who maybe maybe been in church for a long time but you've never been willing to let jesus affect your life to the point that it really changes anything i want you to just tell jesus this morning that you want to 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 believe in him to follow him 
to serve him in, in, in such a way that even if it causes opposition, even if it stirs up people who don't like it, that you are letting him know that you are choosing that direction for your life, that you're choosing him, that you're choosing him regardless of the cost this morning.